0: Welcome to the Disaster Tough podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management, That focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This podcast is brought to you by L3Harris. L3Harris is an amazing company. They provide communications for first responders all over the world. They created the Beyond push-to-talk app that allows your team to communicate between mobile devices and radios through encrypted lines, which makes it so much easier for the team. Even better, they are offering the Beyond app at no cost to agencies for a limited time. You have to check it out. L3Harris.com/slash responder support or click on the show notes for details. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's John scardina your host. We're going to be talking about Beirut, the explosion that happened there this week. Really crazy stuff. In fact, we were going to be talking about Hiroshima, Hiroshima for my Southern American friends. Uh, we were going to be talking about that as the 75 year anniversary that happened this week, August 6th. And so this timing of this explosion, this blast, I mean, just, um, it's a, a real world scenario that's happening right now that we can take immediate after actions. Um, those lessons learned from that event. And so we're, we're actually going to compare Hiroshima to what happened in Beirut and add in some other um, explosive events um, and really just talk about the differences between them, the similarities. But before we get into all that, we just kind of want to go through the details of maybe five or six different events for your own awareness. Most emergency managers, in fact, I, I would claim that all professional emergency managers have to know about these large-scale incidents. If you prepare for any kind of hazmat, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, explosive, CBRNE event, then you need to be aware of these events. And Beirut just added to that list because it is monumental in its impact and with social media and with everything else going on, and so let's catch you up to speed, okay? Beirut, uh, they had a blast on their port. And in that port, they're already having a fire, massive, huge fire that's going on. Uh, a Smoke plume, everything else that was going on. Lots of people are already recording this. They're so recording it from their cars as they're driving, which I would not suggest you do, but they're, they're recording it from the highway. They're recording it from boats. Security cameras were... Um, you know, capturing what was happening on the port, uh, other people on rooftops. There is a really famous video going on right now. I su- suggest that you check it out uh, of a, a bride and groom taking wedding photos. It was a photo shoot for their wedding. Um, that one's really good because you have the audio with it. And to be able to hear the sound of a blast is just insane. Um, note or our pro tip, I would actually turn the volume way down on speakers. And I probably even wouldn't use headphones because the, the sound is just so extreme. It will blow out your, your headphones. I'm not even kidding. So Beirut. Okay. We have, uh, actually we probably should back up a little bit. Six years ago, a Russian ship, uh, was going from one port. I, I don't know the home port. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's Russia to Mozambique. And on the way, they had to stop in Beirut. Now, their lawyers claimed several years ago, back in 2015, it was, quote, due to technical issues. But really what was happening is when they they stopped in the port, they didn't have clearances, okay? They were uh, hauling a ton of ammonium nitrate, a fertilizer that's used uh, in bombs, okay? So they are hauling this stuff. They were gonna pick up more from Mozambique. They got into the port, and there was issues uh, with their cargo, and so they had to unload the cargo, and then uh, the crew basically had to stay on this ship, I believe, on in the port for almost a year while they were investigating this. Eventually, they were able to go, but that cargo had to stay, okay? So, you have a lot of fertilizer that's used in bombs in the port, and... Six years of pretty much no safety concerns. Nobody's looking at this. Nobody's checking at this. In fact, if you fast forward past the explosion, uh, some of those port authorities are now under house arrest in Lebanon. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, going talking about that specific point, and we'll get into that more later, most likely, the uh, the comment that I've been getting probably the most is, Man, John, you, you always talk about um, in your hazard vulnerability assessments, looking at hazmat, hazardous materials. Where are those train lines? What are those train lines carrying? what are What are the type of um, semis that are going near that, that home? Right, I look at that. I look at uh, where oil is, um, is can um, is contained. I look at where other hazardous materials are uh, are stored. Are there plants nearby? Are there nuclear facilities nearby? Uh, I, I start to lo- really look into hazmat because as noted with Patrick McGinn's episode, I believe it was part one uh, of his episode. We, we've we had to deal with hazmat situations before with chemical, biological, whatever. And we train for seaburn events. So uh, people have been texting me and said, hey, you, you're always focused on this. I kind of think you focused on it a little bit too much, or at least that's what I did. And then Beirut happens, right? I don't want to live next to a port that is storing ammonium nitrate uh, on mass quantities, right? Um, and so that that is why I talk about it because it is rare, but when it happens, it's so catastrophic. World news, okay? This wasn't a small explosion in a port. This made a crater, a crater that you know, took out, what was it, like a 35-ton ship and launched it 30 meters into the air, 90 feet. I mean, that's just insane. 35 tons, 90 feet in the air. Okay, so that's the kind of explosion we're talking about. In the videos, it looks like an atomic bomb going off. You think it's a nuclear explosion by the plume, how it's formed. I mean, it's just insane to see these videos And as an emergency manager, I would look at those videos and I'd look at it through the eyes or the lens of analyzing the reactions of people, uh, the impact on systems, and um, noting where those systems and where those people were uh, in relation to pre blast. Okay, when the fire was going, when the smoke was going, what were people doing? Were they running towards it? Some people were. Uh, there's a really tragic video that I saw on that and other people were running away. Some people were getting cover. Some people were too close to get cover. They should have been running away. So there's there's so many different components of what was happening. Lebanon uh, historically has had a political and economic um, fragile system. Now Beirut, I've actually not I've not had the opportunity yet to go to Beirut. Uh, but seeing all these videos of the city, it looks like a beautiful city. It looks like uh, a place of hope possibly for Lebanon. And yet with this explosion, it just highlights so many of those fragile systems that are over there right now. And it's really disappointing. So if, you, if you're an emergency manager and you want to study an explosive event, um, then this is that event, right? Because this is real world and um, it, it has several lessons learned. It has lessons learned for social media. So we're going to be talking about all of that. We're already eight minutes into this. Hopefully, we've given you the context of what was happening. Let's dive into what happened in Beirut and then compare it to, uh, you know, five, uh, four or five other incidents. So the actual blast, okay, it was 2.75 kilotons, and that... So far now, remember how we talked about max extent? And if you don't know the max extent, you're supposed to say, I don't know. So this is the, I don't know statement. Ready? 150 to 200 people uh, have been uh, claimed to be killed by the blast so far with around 5,000 people being injured that we know of so far. That so far statement, that's the, I don't know, right? There is a level of error that could come from the data. But what we know right now is 150 to 200 people with 5,000 people injured. And uh, we expect that number to grow. We pray and we hope that it doesn't, but that's what we're expecting. Okay. So in that comparison, 2.75 kilotons, 150 to 200 deaths, 5,000 injured so far. Let's compare that to other ones. So Halifax Harbor explosion, 1917, Um, I believe it was December 6th, 1917. Wow. What a day, right? December 6th, a day in history for sure. But, uh, Halifax, that one was 2.9 kilotons. The death toll was 1,963 and it had injuries of around 9,000 people. So I guess what happened is a Belgium relief ship. I believe the name was Emo or Imo, uh, came into the Harbor, started a fire, on the Mount Blanc. Uh, firefighters tried to extinguish it. Flames reached Mount Blanc's cargo and kaboom. So that's, when, that's how that one happened. Um, really tragic. That was, uh, I believe, yeah, 1917, like I said. Okay. So we're going to... Next one, Chernobyl. Chernobyl nuclear accident in 1986... Um, this was April 26, 1986. Now, remember how we were talking about 2.75 kilotons of fertilizer? Well, this was only 0.3 kilotons. Now, everybody knows about Chernobyl, right? Uh, 30 people died, 6,500 in- injuries, in an entire area, not even just town, but area, region had to be evacuated and evacuated for decades, right? um, radiological event, that is event to study. I mean, that happens, right? Fast forward, Fukushima, Fukushima was comparing that to Chernobyl and the, the ratings that they were getting there, the readings rather. And, um, you know, that's another one you should study. So let's see, Halifax, you're studying that one. You should be studying Chernobyl. Um, if you don't really remember what happened with Chernobyl, but you've heard of the incident, you're, um, a little bit younger in this field, maybe, It happened when, um, the steam explosion and fires coming from react reactor, uh, basically causes massive explosion. Okay. 30 deaths, 6,500 injuries, Oklahoma city bombing. I hate this one, man. Uh, war is one thing. Accidents another. accidents are embarrassing. Um, but terrorism, terrorism sucks. And uh, I'm so proud of our law enforcement friends uh, who are on active investigations to stop acts of terrorism. In any case, uh, that one was really small. Uh, It was only 0.0025 kilotons. But if you remember what happened, uh, the terrorist, I don't even wanna use his name, you probably know his name. He's a horrible person, despicable. Um, usually I don't name name the terrorist or, or name active suitors. If you've taken my active cedar course, you know that I don't like to name them, but this guy drove up his, um, his truck. He was a former, um, U S army soldier. And, um, I guess he was a security guard anyway. So he was able to get in pretty close to the building and, uh, he put fertilizer in the back of a truck with some other chemicals, and boom. Um, it was a federal building in Oklahoma. That was on April 19th, 1985, or 1995, rather. Um, to to that date, it was the most deadly terrorist attack that happened in the United States. Now, of course, 2001 happened and everything changed. But, um, yeah, Oklahoma City bombing. point zero zero two five kilotons. The death toll was 168 people. So now you're starting to see, okay, it can be a really big explosion, but where it happens matters, right? Is it next to a building? Uh, You're driving up a truck. Is it in an industrial complex like a nuclear plant? Is it on a port? I mean, that explosion was so huge, but because it was in the port, that changes things, right? Um, And then finally, which is what we were, again, going to talk about today is Hiroshima On August 6, 1945, um, the world was introduced to the atomic bomb. And it was 12 to 15 kilotons. Um, The death toll was 80,000. The injuries, I don't even know how many injuries it was. Um, There's all different kinds of ideas of how many injuries because they also include, you know, cancer and everything else because it was a radiological event. Um, so you're talking about maybe tens to hundreds of thousands. Um, what happened was um, we had originally planned, and when I say we, I mean the U.S. government, originally planned to bring in the bomb on, actually on a ship, uh, kind of what we're looking at with Beirut, right? And the ship would have driven into the harbor where just the industrial complex was and uh, may have caused the explosion, Right. A ground burst versus an air burst, actually versus a water burst, you know, under the under the water, have totally different reactions. Uh, the The worst of the three is an air burst. Okay, so what they were hoping to do is to take uh, take the ship and go in and just uh, ruin the military force. What they realized was that it, to get a ship actually into the harbor would have been nearly impossible. So they decided to use a plane. And um, that plane, when it uh, dropped the bomb, and the bomb actually went off 1,800 feet above ground. Okay, now I've been there. Um, It's called Peace Park now. And it is the site where the bomb went off. Um, Just to give you a frame of reference of what I, I saw in the Peace Park, they had taken wax statues and melted them. To represent people literally melting. I saw a shadow on the side of stairs that represents a person who was apparently eating a meal, and the, the light of the blast burned their shadow almost like a photograph would into the actual ground. Uh, people there, I saw photographs of the well, again, the, that light, that photograph effect um, imprinting almost like a tattoo. The clothes, the, those patterns on, on people's skin. So 80,000 people died, the entire city just burned, basically burned alive. A lot of people died immediately. So that was at least good. Um, but there's obviously long term effects. And Hiroshima, in particular, uh, and their Peace Park, they have all this language. Ever since then, the mayors in Um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they send a letter to the UN and to all the states that create nuclear weapons every year and plead with them to disarm uh, atomic bomb programs. And it is clearly understandable why they they do that because you you see these effects and you see how impactful that is. And um, you want to do something about it. You want to say, oh my gosh, like, you know how do how do we prevent this from happening again? Well, that was war, anyway. So you you have all these different events, right? You have Beirut, two point seven five kilotons, one hundred and fifty to two hundred people so far um, that have, that have died, thousands of injured. What people don't realize is it is not the blast that kills everybody; it is the shock wave. If if you're looking at the disaster, the blast a lot of different things can, can cause harm. Again, the blast itself is just one big giant fireball, right? It's a lot of heat. So if you die from the heat, that's one thing, but what causes all the damage, what you can see in these videos, for example, is that blast wave. And so what happens is in a, in a large scale explosion, the amount of pressure that's pushed out, um, from the, from the, the, the point of explosion, all that surrounding area, when it goes out, it, it literally pushes the air out. It pushes everything out. It pushes like, it changes gravity. It just changes everything, right? So it pushes all that out. And once it dissipates, all that air rushes back in. Now, I'm not talking about something underwater. I'm talking about the actual atmosphere. It pushes everything out and then rushes all back in. So you could be hit by the initial wave going out, or you could be hitting, being hit by the wave coming back in. Okay. So that's really rough about explosions. Um, a big thing about explosions is you don't know possibly what killed somebody because y- you see nothing, right? The, the person looks whole. Well, what happened was the shock wave like blew up their internal organs essentially. This has disintegrated your body and from the inside. And um, like I said, this is a really heavy topic, but you need to know this as an emergency manager. You need to know the effects, and you need to be able to prepare for those effects. Um, so as that shockwave goes out, it does other things, right? Obviously, you can have buildings collapse, and now you have debris that is from the actual building collapsing, and you have massive search and rescue operations going on. What you also have though is glass, especially in a city. All that glass that's everywhere that makes the city look pretty, when that goes boom, that glass shreds and it shreds people, it shreds everything, right? Um, And so you're going to have a lot of damage from all the glass. Another thing that we're learning here is that um, the effects can be long term. So if it's a radiological event, a nuclear bomb, then Uh, you're going to have to track people for a very, very long time, the rest of their life, to make sure that um, things aren't changing, right? Cancer doesn't develop. Um, You're going to have disruptions to systems. And now because of social media, you're going to have to go through there and um, really understand that message that's being sent out. The Justice Minister for... Beirut or for Lebanon, I believe she, she's being basically chased by protesters. Now she like went out into public and tried to visit a a neighborhood and, um, people were screaming, um, resign, resign, resign. And, um, something like hang the noose, um, that was being chanted. I mean, they're blaming her for this. And I understand why. I mean, the, the stuff was there for six years and almost no safety protocols. And so you're going to be dealing with these messages. Now, like I noted earlier, Lebanon has a fragile system. They have several fragile systems, politically, economically. And um, a a city like Beirut, that again looks like a beautiful city from the outside, those people, when they see the bomb go off, they are now uh, dealing with this idea, dealing with uh, the confrontation or the uh, frustration of fragile systems, and they are a heightened. They have a heightened awareness of, of those fragile systems, and so they are going out there, and they are going to let people know: I am so tired of this right? I'm so tired of this fragile system. We need to get together. If you're a safety officer, six years, ammonium nitrate, the thought process that can only possibly go through my mind besides just somebody forgetting about it and being completely incompetent is the phrase, it could never happen here, or it can never happen to me. You've heard that, right? You've heard people say, oh, that's never going to happen to me. Uh, Well, we can store this here for six years. It hasn't happened for the last five years, so we're good. No, things happen, right? Incidents happen. And they happen, the, the chances of something happen a- actually go way up the longer something's there, right? Because things go boom. So what I would say to a safety officer, an emergency manager, even security officer who is going through these um, these ports or places where hazardous material is stored, I would I would implore you to go through there and be be extremely cautious of every single of the item that you have in there, how it's being stored. Um, be that guy that is over the top. This is one of the things that it is okay to say, hey, we're not following every single regulation to the T. To the t. Oh, my maintenance guy. Oh, he's giving me a lot of crap because I'm like, hey, we didn't check off every single box. Yeah, it's, it's fine. You know, it hasn't happened in three years, so we're good. No, make sure you're going through and checking off every single he- health and safety procedure that you should do and how it's stored and and get it out of there. Um, so that's what I would look at. I would look at uh, your towns. Like I mentioned earlier, the hazardous material that's traveling through that town. Uh, I would know what's being traveled on that town. There, There are routes that allow... Different hazardous materials to be able to travel on the road or on rail. I would have a complete list of what's traveling on on those systems, and uh, I would I would have procedures in place of what to do. So in Beirut, when they had an ammonium nitrate, okay, uh, we have all this ammonium nitrate that we can't leave the port for whatever reason. Are we making sure that it's safe the way it's stored? Uh, as much as we can. Do first responders, firefighters, know that? I'm not going to send in firefighters to save a ship if I know that they could all be, you know, killed from an explosion that we haven't properly taken care of. So that's why firefighters are really heroes, right? Because they have to go into extremely dangerous situations. Um, I would go through and... Um, get additional training. I know FEMA offers training. I know other uh, agencies and groups, re- regulatory groups, are offering training. But every hazardous material, you should know what to do and how to react to that. Um, you should know how it reacts in different times of day. Sometimes we'll have a tanker flipped over with X chemical, and based off the time of day at night, it'll either spread faster because it's cooler and it'll stay stay lower to the ground and spray, spray faster, or it could uh, become more of an aerosol. And what happens if it becomes an aerosol? We have to deal with chemicals that you can't see, but if it touches you, it will disintegrate your body. Um, that is pretty scary stuff, right? You're walking and all of a sudden you don't have legs, right? It kills you that way. So understanding the material type, I would pick up uh, a, a hazardous material guide that you can look on the side of a tanker, you can look on the side of a building, and you can say, okay, is that a three for red? Is it a two for blue? Is it a one for yellow? Whatever the chemical compound is, and so you can quickly look up uh, what that is. So there's all different ways that you can start to do some learning here. What's being stored? What's being passed through? Are the right things coming through? Are we storing it correctly? Are we informing first responders of what to do and how to how to do it? Um, do we know at what point we pull first responders back and allow it to go boom without killing, you know, all your first responders or, or, and killing people? Do you know what your evacuation times need to be? Um, these are all considerations you have to go through. Now, comparing this to 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 Hiroshima which was the largest example by far in our uh, in our list, you know, 12 to 15 kilotons, 80,000 people, um, that is a nightmare scenario if it's an act of, act of terrorism. Um, it's no surprise it's an act of war. If you have a bomb or a, a large-scale event on that, uh, that kind of size that impacts a city, you're going to have decades of of cultural and economic, agricultural even changes, especially if it's um, dealing with anything radiological. Um, that's, just, that's just a given. Um, one thing about radiological events is it doesn't really travel that well um, where there's concrete and dirt. So if you have areas where you have underground or if you can get large-scale buildings, you might be able to um, to, to survive a lot longer and or get out of that area. So if I'm an emergency manager in Philadelphia or Denver, you know, wherever, I want to be able to understand that if X Seabird event happens, um, how it would travel through the city, and I would include the FBI, I would include these law enforcement agencies, I would include national laboratories. The National um, Laboratory in Lawrence Livermore I've been there, and they're doing some amazing work. Now, if you're an emergency manager, you have those clearances. Now, you might be telling yourself, "Uh, I don't have a secret clearance. I only have a public trust. That happens a lot. Um, But you can tell them that. You say, hey, I only have a public trust clearance. But I want to know, what are the threats to my community? I am an emergency manager for this county, or I'm an emergency manager uh, in New York, uh, I'm an emergency manager in Belgium. I always call up my Belgium and northern um, Germany uh, listeners because that's exciting for me. So glad you guys are listening. In fact, we have um, several people now from uh, Australia listening in so thanks guys for checking this out. But uh, in any case, it, whatever city or whatever uh, community, whatever size you have to deal with, you want you want to conduct that hazard vulnerability assessment to the nth degree on everything. Uh, CBRNE. Okay. So that would be my advice there. Um, No, this is not one of those things that Beirut causes us to, to change protocol. In fact, proper emergency managers should already be doing this. And if you're not, this was a rude awakening, right? You have um, something happening in the port and it hurt a lot of people. And now it is your job as an emergency manager, as a planner, as a, um, and somebody in operations and somebody in logistics, first responder to understand not just your scope, but to say, hey, I need to become an expert in this because if it's not a weather event, it is this. These are the big events that change everything. And that's, that's the, that's the end of the story right there. Right. So Um, Just in review, we talked about today um, what happened in Hiroshima, and we talked about Chernobyl a little bit. Um, We talked about Oklahoma City bombing, um, terrorist attacks, um, search and rescue. Uh, We've talked about these large-scale accidents like what happened in Beirut. And so I hope that you were able to take something away from this uh, episode. I hope you learned something. I hope you started jotting down some of those ideas as an emergency manager, all the different things you have to check off. That's what's going through your community, um, the training that you need, communicating with first responders, communicating with um, national laboratories or the Federal Bureau of Investigations, and um, really dive into making sure you understand this. Now, I would not put off those, those weather events, those large scale weather events that happen more frequently. And I would not put off all these other things. So you'll have to manage that, um, a bit and, and understand how your time works, but go through an, a proper hazard vulnerability assessment and start to walk through those things. Not just, don't just go through the weather events, go through the hazardous material, uh, coordinate with all the right people and really figure out what your true vulnerabilities are and start mitigating the crap out of them, okay? So, uh, again, I hope you learned something from this episode, and um, we will be on next week with... uh, Actually, we have several months of really cool people coming on here with great experience, and so uh, keep tuning in. If you liked this episode, of course, give us that five-star rating and subscribe if you haven't subscribed. If you have a question or a comment about this episode and you want to connect with us, please reach out to us at info at dobermanemg.com. Again, that's info at dobermanemg.com.